0: You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, what do you do when um, your heart may be like David's was in this moment? Did you hear the description? He said, my heart is faint. It's a pretty good description. I probably don't need to go into exactly what it means. I think it's just such a clear description that you hear that and go, oh, I, I know what that is. I know what that feels like. That it's weary, or, or, or uh, I'm, I'm tired. It just feels like everything is hitting me at once, and, and the thing I need to like, you know, get going and kind of get through this and break through this. Like my heart just feels like so so tired. And where do I find the strength to go on? And so for those that may even be there today, those that have been there before, maybe some of you are helping somebody right now who's in that spot, that that's a good descriptor to say, my heart is faint, their heart is faint right now. Well, there is hope today because David has a faint heart, and in the midst of that, he wrote a psalm that was to be used in worship of God. That's why it starts out, the header says to the choir master with stringed instruments of David, meaning probably written by David, which that's not real helpful to give us the context of what's actually uh, happening here. But there seems to be a consensus forming about what is the context of this psalm. So the context is David's uh, king at this point. Uh, Things are going well, despite he had these struggles with Saul, if you remember previously. Um, and he's, things are going great, and then he has one son that is supposed to be a joy. In fact, his name means, it's uh, Ab Shalom, father of peace, and his name's Absalom. And instead of being this bringer of peace, this father of peace, instead, uh, he leads a coup against his father, David. David is forced to flee Jerusalem. He's, he went from the throne to being an outcast. He went from the comfort and safety of Jerusalem to running for his life, and, and then his son, and then also it talks about his most trusted advisor has become a part of the rebellion uh, against him. A lot of Israel turns on him, and David is fleeing and running and hiding, and um, he, does, he is able to take some of Israel with him, some people that were loyal to him. But you can see the shift that just happened, and all this is because the son that you named, father of peace, has now led the nation to revolt against you. That's the context of this. And so while he's in hiding, while he's in the wilderness, while he's probably on the outskirts of the land, um, some Levites come to him and they actually have the Ark of God. Um, the Ark is supposed to be in, um, the temple isn't built yet, the tabernacle is built, it's kind of a portable temple. Solomon, David's son, would eventually build a temple. But the Ark is supposed to be in the tabernacle, in the most holy place. And the Levite, they would carry it out to battle, and so they've carried it. And David says, carry the ark of God back to the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. It's hard to describe how big a deal it would be to not be around Jerusalem, to not be around the temple, to not be around the place where the ark is, where they said the presence of God was. David's distraught here. So Absalom gets advice to send the military to attack David, and someone else comes in and says, What about this? What if you lead the military to attack David? And he does. And so the battle ensues, the military advances. That's the context. So David was king in the palace and by the tabernacle. Now he sent the ark back hiding in the wilderness. Like, like, I get cranky if I don't have like a good meal and a good shower and a nice soft bed. This is, you, you picture David's life right now to go from this life of luxury to all of a sudden Um, be wandering with his people. He would think, I don't have my riches, my power, my key advisors, I don't have all my soldiers. That's my home back there, that's my job back there. The ark is back there, and the reason this all happened is because my son led a coup against me in the kingdom. And so in the midst of that, he has nothing, and he writes, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer From the end of the earth, or probably from the end of the land, like the end of Israel's land, I call to you when my heart is faint. Boy, that's a good descriptor, isn't it? I think it's something we can all relate to. He has no energy to go on. He's getting hit by all these trials all at once, a complete, utter life change. And we've probably felt this way, or you know people that have, where the rug just gets pulled out from under them tired just so many things going on stressors I'm thinking of our students friends and grades and sports or electives like all those different things happening at once and those of us that are adults same thing just we can just get hit with a whole lot of things and at some point it's easy to just sort of shut down because you're it's hard to just take a lot of it sometimes or it might be because, like, maybe you're engaged in ministry and conversations with people, and and you're you're just helping them and helping them, and they they need you, they need you to, they need to be able to just sort of emote, and they need you to be there for them, and it can just be I'm, I'm ministering to this person and this person and this person and this person, and I'm just giving and giving and giving and giving, and then you look around and go, oh man, what, what's going on in my heart? Have I just been giving and giving and giving, and my heart's a little empty right now? I think all of those can be examples where. Our heart can be faint, and it does get added to. Like we're human beings, maybe it's I'm not sleeping well, I'm not feeling well, I'm what like those kinds of things can can make all the other things in our life even you know bigger a bigger deal, and it's all our lives are just so related. As much as we like to split out like emotional and physical and psychological and you know spiritual and split it all out, so much of that is all 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 related. And so I picture David there with zero energy. He has no zeal, probably feeling a lot of sorrow, probably feeling a lot of confusion, the pain that he's feeling about my son, my advisor, my country, my people, my throne, my home, all this stuff, and he says, my heart is faint, and he's crying out, and the word for cry is a lament. He is in mourning. He is wretched. He's in a horrible, horrible place, and in the midst of that, somehow, his faint heart finds the ability to say, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And there's probably a couple different meanings here, and they're probably intertwined because oftentimes they would talk about the rock like the holy hill would look sort of like a rock, like where, where the ark was, where he just sent the ark. So there's a sense of I want to go back to that place, but he doesn't just like the geography and you know, the climate that he wants to go back to. He wants to go be in the presence of God. Like if God were to appear to him and go, it's not Jerusalem anymore, now you're at the new capital, set up a tabernacle, and here's a new ark, David wouldn't go, oh, I long to be in Jerusalem. He would go, oh, I long to be here now. This is where I want to be. He is longing to get back in the presence of God. And in the midst of all this, God is his rock that he longs to cling to. There was a a couple a while back I was talking to, and um, she had some things on her side of the family that were just a little more difficult for her and um, his, his job was more of a support through some of that. And we just were chatting and, and she just said, oh man. And I said, I said, how'd you get through it? Like that, that must've been difficult. And she reached out and kind of you know, put her hand on him and just said, he was my rock through all this. And he immediately went like that and just pointed up, which is a really beautiful illustration of how this is supposed to work. That in that instance, she's, she is, her, her feet are unsettled, her heart is faint, and she's dealing with a lot with her family, it's hitting her, and I just picture this image of this loving husband reaching out and holding on to her and then holding on to the rock and just helping her back. Nikki and I have had to do that for each other multiple times, that's the image of what the church can actually be. Even in the midst of it all, he knows that God is the answer, and he's saying, lead me to the rock. I need to get close to the Lord. So one of the things that happens when, when people have, a, I'll, I'm gonna keep using the term a faint heart, we generally give two pieces of advice. One is, um, well, not, not one. This is one that's not given. One option, I guess I would say, is to just look back at the past to all the pain and just dwell on it and dwell on it, dwell on it. And everybody, I think, in unison would go, you gotta you got grieve, you gotta work through stuff, whatever's brought you here, but that doesn't do any good to just sit. At some point, you got to move forward. So the next thing that happens is people go, look ahead. Look, look towards, um, you know, the, the, the rug was pulled out from under you, the bottom fell out, but, but look forward now to, to a new life, to, to new things that would happen as a result. You had all this dreaming of what your life was going to look like, and now all of a sudden there's been a huge curveball thrown, and so, so we try to go, I don't want you to dwell on the past. Let me help you just go to the future, to the future, to the future, to the future. And I think it's a beautiful aspiration, and it's what we need to do is to eventually start picturing, you know, what comes next past this. But the person's also going, I- I've spent, you know, 20, 30, 40 years dreaming of a life that now all of a sudden doesn't look like it's going to be the same going forward. This is decades, perhaps. Of, of just like a heart and emotion that I've got to overcome and I've got to, I've got to rethink some of it. And it can be a really difficult thing to do. And then, and then to go, so dream again about the future. If you're not careful, you can look back and go, well, I dreamed before and look where it got me. That's the pain that I'm in right now. That's why my heart is so faint right now. And so those are really the only two things a lot of times people know is either look back and think about the pain or, or look forward, which actually you go, well, I guess I can. That's where I need to get, but it's hard. you got to work through healing and everything to try and get there. And it can be a difficult step with a lot of baggage to overcome. And I think what David does here is, I think, absolutely brilliant. And because when somebody has a faint heart, I want to give them the easiest of first steps and David actually does that. He says, when he says, "Lead me to the rock that's higher than I," he says, "For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy." How can David say, "Lead me to the rock," even though my heart is faint? Because he he does think back, but he's not thinking back on everything that's bringing him pain to this point. He's thinking back to the good old days. He's thinking back, but his focus is on God's faithfulness. He's telling God, you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. You have been faithful in the past. And before we even go, so you'll be faithful, then just, just start with, you've been faithful, you've been faithful, you've been faithful. That's what David is thinking. David is looking and going, I remember times when the fiercest of enemies came up against us and those walls of Jerusalem held. I remember the times we went into battle, and there's no way we should have won. But you were with us, and so we did. And his faint heart, before trying to dream about some new future or really just dwell in the reality of how horrible his situation is now, he says, my heart is faint. You have been good. You have been faithful. It's a healthy way to try to move Forward, Like I think about, it, the way we do a celebration of life service in America, to su- in some cultures, is almost offensive. Because we will have, some people will get up and they will share, usually touching stories, but then they'll also share stories that will have everybody laughing. Because they'll be remembering, they'll be thinking back to the good times. Remember the thing that God did in this man or this woman's life. And they're thinking back on it, and there's something in our hearts that can help move through pain and process pain. And that can strengthen a faint heart. In some cultures, that's, that's horribly offensive that you would, you would do anything that, that uh, people are laughing about at a time that you're remembering their life. You know, I think of, um, as a, a guy who just um, sent my daughter to college a while back, my, my oldest, um, the potential problems that could come up the, the list is just never ending. My mind could just go crazy with all the different things. And um, I'm not on social media, but I'll watch on social media. Nikki will show me every so often, you know. And I'll watch. And, and it's so easy to go, oh, man, I wonder if I should have done this more, this better, or is everything okay? And the reality is, like, we have people in our life group. And um, one of them just said I was, th- was kind of processing some of this. And he goes, she's awesome. Relax. I was like, all right. Yeah, all right, you're good. And all of a sudden, you know what it did? Just that one little thing of him kind of going, and kind of slapping me a little bit, was him going, look at everything that God has done. And look at this young woman and who she is and what God has done in her life. And so rest in that and be grateful for what God has done instead of just moving on all of a sudden to just go, oh, but what about this, what about this, what about this? To just remember, God has done this. He has been so, so, so faithful. How can the faintest of hearts say, lead me to the rock? Because he's saying, you have done this in the past. That's how David gets there. David can think back, and instead of just grieving, he can think back on God's faithfulness. That he, he was the shepherd boy that when Samuel came to say, God said one of your sons is gonna be the next king, remember what happened? His dad brought out everybody, and when we need somebody to watch the sheep still, David, it's not gonna be you. Why don't you go out there and you still watch the sheep? And then it's none of these other guys, and they're like, do you have anybody else? And he literally is like, no. Oh yeah, David, I forgot about David. That's who David is, and he goes and plucks David out of obscurity, and God takes him and puts him on a throne, even though he is in this kingdom, the anointed of God, and the current king Saul tried to kill him multiple times, David has risen up and he has gone from out in the fields, this little nobody of a shepherd boy, to all of a sudden being God's chosen king over his kingdom on earth that's something to think back to. He can think back to just the inexplicable military victory after inexplicable military victory. And so if he's in this moment going, my heart is faint, and he's wondering, is God still on my side? He thinks back, you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. He has been faithful. He will be faithful. And he longs for him. Look at verse 4. He says, Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. This is another cry to go be in the presence of God. The idea of let me dwell in your tent is double meaning. It's a reference to the tabernacle, the tent of God. I want to go be there in your presence. But also think about he, he's kind of nomadic right now, living out in the wilderness, and so he's probably living in some little tent. And he's saying, I'm I'm ready to trade this tent for your tent. At a moment's notice, that's what I'm longing for, and taking refuge under the shelter of your wings. We, we—I think there's a double meaning. The secondary meaning probably is that, like a, like a picture of a mother bird, like wrapping her arms around her, um, her little baby birds. That's one of them, but. On the ark, and with the context here, and with the ark being that part of the context, um, on the ark there were, there were wings of cherubim that were on the ark. And so most people think, and I tend to agree, that really what he's saying here is the shelter of your wings is another reference to I want to be where the ark is. I want to be where you are. I want to be where my rock is. For you, O oh God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your Name. Let me explain. Vows here are, um, I'm gonna call them religious duties or religious promises that are made despite the circumstances. And look at what he says. I'm gonna skip down to verse eight. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Let me tie, it, uh, tie this together here. David's heart is so faint And instead of just going, what's next, what's next, what's next, or just thinking back in the pain or even the pain of his present circumstances, he immediately looks back to God's faithfulness in his life to remember the nature and the character of God. And then he's going to move forward, and how does he do it? This idea of performing vows, he says, day after day, one day at a time. Probably the most frequent advice that I give to people when their heart is faint. Day at a time, day at a time, day at a time. Chuck Swindoll um, would take these boyhood vacations down in, um, in the Gulf in South Texas and they'd hired this man to come and, uh, and cook for him and um, the man was there and he was sharing some ups and downs with little, little Charles at the time, sharing some of his ups and downs and, um, and he said uh, to him, little Charles, the hardest thing about life is that it's so daily day after day after day. That's really how we live the Christian life is one day at a time. It's not like, okay, I I came to faith, I even got baptized, I did some things, and now I'll kind of check in with God when heaven gets here. This is a regular life of following him, committing to follow him and worship him daily, regardless of all the circumstances around us. It would be kind of the same thing like, um, I've, been married, I've been married almost 25 years now, although, although that feels small this morning, but um, I've been almost 25 years. And, uh, and I think about like, I didn't just make my vows to Nikki at one point, and then if she ever gets upset with me, like, you don't really tell me you love me. Like, well, I told you like 25 years ago. Do you not remember? Pastor was there, you looked gray, white, and all, like, don't you remember? It's this thing of, of an ongoing reminder of devotion and dedication. In fact, something we have in our kitchen is uh, I got this sign, that's actually, that's actually it. That is uh, longitude and latitude and that verse says, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And that hangs in our kitchen and that was, I went to the place, where, the altar where, uh, where we got married and I did a little screenshot and I got the latitude and longitude and put it in this thing. And it hangs in our kitchen now as a reminder of our marriage and of the vows and of that time because it's not just about, I was really loving when we were dating and then boy, that day, I was, I was really, really super to my wife on that day. It is, are my vows ongoing? And that's what the reminder is for me. I don't know who said this first, but he said, one secret of a happy Christian life is living by the day. It's the long stretches that tire us. But really, there are no long stretches. Life doesn't come to us all at once. Tomorrow's not ours, but when it does come, God will supply both daily bread and daily strength. David's faint heart is beginning to stir because he says, day after day, I'm going to think back on your goodness and your faithfulness. And we have even more to be thankful for because we know all the stuff he did for David. But we can think back on even more. In fact, what's happening here in this psalm, I left a little bit out, I'll come back to it, is there seems to be a hint here that yes, it's about David, it's about the king and the king of kings, but there's, there's a broader thing that's happening here. And so in David's day, it would have made sense, but also for us as Christians with New Testament eyes, we can look and see this bigger meaning start to unfold. And back in verse six, He says this, he says, prolong the life of the king. David is leading people to pray for whoever sits on the throne. May his years endure, and look what it says, to all generations. The idea of covenant succession after David. May he be enthroned forever before God. This is the second time he said forever. He said, I want to dwell in your tent forever. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. He said, I will ever sing your praises. Like, there's something bigger than just get me out of this jam. The idea of um, being throned forever before God is the reminder to us that Jesus, who is the true father of peace, the bringer of peace, the prince of peace, David's greater son, Jesus Christ, fulfilled this. Pastor David Platt says it like this. He says, although David's immediate prayer here may have been for God to let him live and reign forever via an enduring royal dynasty, the language alludes to the eternal reign of David's greatest descendant, the Messiah, who was to come. Jesus Christ is the one who is the king over the eternal kingdom kingdom. Remember in Isaiah the prophecy about him it says unto us a child is born to us a son is given the government shall be upon his shoulder his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Then right before Jesus is born, the angel tells Mary, uh, he'll be great, he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Did you know in the New Testament, the rock is identified as Jesus Christ as well? Let me give you an obscure passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is writing and he's reminding his Jewish brethren of the, uh, now Christians, of their heritage and of the Exodus. And he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. And there's times when they, they hit the rock and water flowed from the rock. And it says they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Isn't that interesting that you have this Old Testament idea of God as the rock. And in the New Testament, it's built on. And as believers, we can say, that's what I want. I want Jesus. I want to run to Jesus. He is my rock. Not my circumstances getting better is my rock, but Jesus is my rock and we think back all the time it is so healthy to to have prayer requests and then watch how christ fulfills them watch how they are fulfilled and watch how they are answered and you just start to build this resolve to say god i has been faithful we talk about it every week in fact the only message that i have is the gospel message of god's rescue of you and me through his son jesus christ that's what we remember when we come forward to take communion, what he did on the cross, the thing we couldn't do. So, a couple ways to think about this. One, <clears throat> to those among us, right now you're going, my heart may be strong. Praise God. You're sitting in a room of people with varying degrees of faintness of heart. And you can see, who, who am I supposed to be in this picture? Am I, am I supposed to be the one clinging to the rock that is reaching out and helping pull people back and pull people back and pull people back. That might be your role. That's why I love when that, that couple was in my office and he said she was my rock, or I'm sorry, she said he was my rock and he immediately just pointed up. That was a perfect picture. Him grabbing on and reaching out and helping her. And sometimes we're in this spot, sometimes we're in this spot. We're never in that spot. That is God's spot. And that's what we are helping people move towards. And I also want to say today to someone here that may have the very faintest of hearts among us here today. um, To let somebody else help you back might be difficult and I understand that. I'm just thinking like like my daughter, before she went off to college, she said, everybody I see is asking me about college. That's all we talk about. And I was like, well, yeah, that's because they care and they know you're going. Would you rather nobody have a clue you're going? Like they're just being nice and I'm having that conversation. And then she said that to me a couple times and then I got in her shoes and I thought about it and I thought, oh, I get it. All you're doing all day long is talking about college and college and college. You're answering the same question day in, day I thought that could get, I get it. And I see people that are, that are weary, that are faint of heart. And it, it's easy to just go, well, just come back to church. And just let, you know, we'll help pull you back. And, and I get why some people might go, because they love me and care about me. If I come back and I plop myself here, all, all of a sudden, I'm just going to get this barrage of questions. Uh, how are you? How, how's it going? And, and so I, I understand why that could be difficult. And so I mean this for the faintest of hearts among us, I understand why some of you may be watching online today. I understand why that might happen. I understand why, um, not today, but I know in the past, someone who'd been really hurting says, I just, I can't see people right now. But um, she would come in at the end of a service, right before communion, would slip in the back, mix in, because no one's going to talk to her, come up here take communion, and be strengthened by the reminder of what Christ has done for her. And then she would slip out. That's all she had. Her heart was so faint that she said, but I have to be reminded. And I said, that is a brilliant first step. And so if you're here and your heart is very faint right now, um, I, I understand why it can be difficult to be here. I am absolutely beyond thrilled that you're here today. My hope and prayer is that as we take communion, all of us, no matter where we are, could be strengthened. That if your heart is feeling a little faint today, that God may strengthen it with a reminder of what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. If your kingdom falls apart like David's, the rock won't. When your heart is faint, cling to the rock. As we come forward today, would you be reminded of what Christ has done? This is what we're clinging to, the reminder of his goodness and his faithfulness in the past, that our salvation has been secured by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we come forward today, would you rejoice in that?